Hey everybody and welcome. I'm so glad you're joining me. I am in my second session of this series that I am calling The Resurrection, Then What? And today we're going to be looking at Jesus and his interactions with Peter. But let's back up to what we discussed last week so that we can uh, remind ourselves of what Jesus did on Resurrection Day. So you'll recall that the first thing he did was he encountered Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary Magdalene uh, went to the tomb and there she saw Jesus. He called her name and she recognized him. And she, Jesus sent her on a mission to get Peter and John and tell them. And so Peter and John came and saw that the tomb was empty. And then uh, we, we find out the other women had been there and they had seen that Jesus was missing from the tomb and went back and reported to the other disciples. Well, a few hours later, Jesus meets two people who were traveling on the road between Jerusalem to uh, Emmaus. Well, it was Cleopas and an unnamed person. Perhaps it was Mary, his wife. We do not know. Anyway, they were very sad, and Jesus said, Hey, what are you so sad about? And they told him, and then he said, mm, Let's think about this. Do you remember all of this was prophecy in the scriptures? And he went through the scriptures and told them what uh, it said about Jesus. <coughs> They did not know it was Jesus they were talking with, not until they ate with him that night, that afternoon. Fast forward a few more hours, and then we find that Jesus is meeting with the other disciples, except for Thomas, who's not there, and they are huddled up in a room fearing their lives. Jesus appears and tells them peace. And it was a piece that would pass their own understanding. And so Jesus then goes over the prophecy with them and tells them what they could have expected. That this was real. And he shows them his hands and his feet. They, uh, he's doing this to convince them that he has risen from the dead. Then we don't know what happens in the next week, but on day eight, Jesus appears before Thomas and plays out the same scene. Jesus is very intentional. He wants to tell the same story to all. There are, he appears before individuals, before two people, before groups of people, and he is, they, they're all getting the same message and he's meeting them where their needs are. We also know that during this period, he appeared to Peter. We know nothing more about that appearance. However, in today's passage, we are going to key in on another conversation Jesus has with Peter. So that's where we pick up today. It is sometime after the last appearance to the disciples, um, and this time he's meeting with seven disciples and it's at the Sea of Galilee. These men have been fishing in a boat all night long without a catch, and Jesus sees them the next morning. And I wanna dig into this because not only is he going to make this appearance to the disciples, but he's gonna take Peter aside, and we're going to see how Peter moves through his faith and goes from Peter the denier to Peter, Peter the committed, committed to serving Jesus. So let's take a look at that. Uh, they have gone to Galilee now, and this is where Jesus had told them to go. They had gotten word that Jesus said, 
I will appear to you in Galilee. And so this is where they are. I'm reading from John chapter 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. And then this is the list. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples. So they're all gathered there at Galilee at the sea. And here is what Peter said. I'm going fishing. I love this. Peter had been a professional fisherman before Jesus called him to follow him. And so he, he knew what he was doing when he went out fishing. And so it's, it's very like him to say, gone fishing. Well, here's what the others said. We'll come too. And so they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. I find that so interesting because these were professional fishermen. What was this about? They all of a sudden couldn't catch fish? Well, maybe here's why. Verse 4, at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? I just imagine those hands are folded and he is kind of leaning back and says, got anything? And no, they replied. Now, they did not know that this is Jesus. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll get some. Now, let's remember that Jesus wasn't a fisherman. He was a carpenter. These were pros, but this stranger on the shore has all of a sudden, sudden said, throw your net on the other side. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved, now remember this is being written by, Pete, by John, and John is the disciple that Jesus loved, self-named, and I think everybody knew it. And, but he said to Peter, it's the Lord. So John recognizes Jesus first. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, and headed to shore. So John recognizes it's Jesus, but Peter's the one that goes into action. Remember back at the tomb when Peter and John ran, they raced to get to the tomb. John was faster and got there first, but he stopped at the door and Peter dashes past him and goes on in to the tomb. Peter is all about the action, isn't he? So Peter was excited uh, and he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore to meet Jesus. Verse 8 tells us, the others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about a hundred yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. See, Jesus had been watching and waiting. I love to contemplate that. He watched them all night long. He knew they were not being successful. He could have jumped in any time, couldn't he? But he waited. He watched and he waited. And he was cooking breakfast for them. He watched them when they were struggling. Look at what he says in verse 10. Bring some of the fish you've caught. 
Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net to the shore. There were 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't been torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. You know, they caught 153 big fish. But notice that Jesus invites the disciples to bring the fish they've caught. Even though Jesus was already cooking fish, this is such a beautiful way that God works with us. He takes what we have. He takes what we have gained or gathered. He takes our own tools, our own resources, and who we are. He takes them, and he asks us to take those to him, give them to him, and let him use it. Because he wants us to cooperate with his plan. He wants us to come alongside him and go forward with him with his great plan. You know, what I, I find so interesting is looking at the stories of miracles to see how, how Jesus was able to use human effort. See, Scripture tells us we are co-laborers with him. We work with him. We are co-workers. And so he wants us to collaborate and cooperate with him in his plan. He invites us to do that. He wants us to be a part of his mission. Well, there they are on shore for breakfast with all that fish, and Jesus was the cook. Well, if Christ was watching them all night long, why didn't he speak up sooner? Why did he allow these men hours of toiling with frustration? The answer, I think, lies in the fact that they probably needed to experience some failure. Failure in this case was necessary for their eventual success. See, if that unidentified man had spoken up sooner, then they would doubtless have rejected his advice. You see, they hadn't struggled enough. And so they might have said, hey, what do you know? We're professional fishermen here. We know where to find the fish. We've spent years fishing in the sea. Uh, so what can you tell us? See, they weren't ready early on to get any kind of advice or wisdom, but let the night pass with a lot of failure, and then the sun come up, and they were really ready to listen to the voice of the Lord. So it's the same way with us. Jesus allows us that time to fail in our own strength, and then we might be ready to learn the lessons he has for us. We might be then ready to lean into the power that he has. Can you think of any examples in your own life where you have struggled along and toiled along and you have been frustrated and you just knew you could figure it out and you just kept leaning into your own strength? and weren't ready to hear God's wisdom that may have come through something that you read or studied or somebody had spoken to you, and not until you were at your rope's end, at your wit's end, 
perhaps were you really ready to lean into the word of God and let his power fail you? That's kind of human nature, isn't it? Sometimes it takes our own failure to finally wake up and see our need for Christ. Peter was that professional fisherman. Jesus was not. And it seemed illogical to fish in a place or in a way that Jesus would have suggested. But Peter trusted Jesus. He trusted the wisdom of this man on shore, and that was God's divine voice, and it paid off. So despite his doubts, Peter follows this command, and he ends up catching so many fish that it would have filled up two boats. You know, as they were in that boat, it was a circumstance of life, and it was a frustrating one. I think all of life is a test. It's a test in our circumstances. Jesus was testing Peter and the disciples. Would they obey him and fish on the other side of the boat? He seems to say, will you obey me even when it doesn't make sense? Wow, it's the same question he asks us every day. Will you obey me even when you think you have a better way for this day to work out? Will you obey me when the way forward seems really unclear? Will you obey me when your own intuition tells you to do something else? Will you obey me even when you have failed on your own? He asks us that all the time, every day. Will you trust me today with the plan I have for your life? Let's think about that in the days to come, in the weeks to come, when we are mired down with duties and responsibilities or we're frustrated and we're weary and we're worn. I wonder how long it's going to take us to turn over our will to his will. You know, those, those disciples had to wait it out for a full night. I hope I'm going to be more willing earlier on to turn over my situations and my frustrations to the Lord. After breakfast was over, then Peter and Jesus took a walk together. This is the part of the story that we might be most familiar with. Scripture tells us in verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus said. You see, it's one thing to say we love, and it's another to actually do something. The Greek word here for love is the word agape, and it implies this sacrificial love. And so Jesus is saying to him, if you really love me, then you're going to sacrifice yourself so that you can feed my lambs. Well, who are the lambs? Well, the lambs are the people. The lambs of God are the people. The lambs are us. And so he's saying, Peter, you need to go out and feed my people. Take care of them. Well, verse 16 says, Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then, listen to what Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Jesus uses the word agape again, and this time he says, not just feed them, but take care of them, serve my people. And then a third time he asked, Simon, son of God, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Well, at this point, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Do you see the responsibility that comes with love? That's the point that Jesus was making. Peter was broken on this third time. Jesus changed the word. The, the Greek word for this love was phileo, and that means brotherly love. He's saying, Peter, are you really my friend? Are you truly my friend? Peter uh, was, was learning from Jesus through these questions that he had to identify who he really is. Who are you? Which kind of love do you have for me? And with each answer, Jesus tells Peter that he needs to love and he needs to serve. And behind that, behind those answers, lie these two great commandments that Jesus gave us. And it is to love God and to love others. And if we love God, if we truly love him, and, and we love him because of his own love and his grace and his mercy toward us, then we are going to serve others. And in doing so, that is loving other people. Well, it took three times to get this message to Peter. Three times before he was saddened and broken. Why three? Because Peter had denied him three times. And then another thing to note here, this was done publicly. Why did he do it in front of others? Because Peter had denied Jesus publicly. And the other, there needed to be witnesses. Others needed to see that Peter was openly declaring his love for Christ instead of denying Christ. And without hearing those words, there would have been doubts from then on, Jesus knew the importance of having witnesses. See, this whole time after the resurrection, these 40 days were all about eyewitnesses, making sure others knew the truth. So he was not only reminding Peter of the three times he had denied him, but he was also doing something else. He was teaching Peter that he could be forgiven. Peter was being forgiven in this scenario. <clears throat> and what we learn here is that this forgiveness came uh, to, to, to Peter, not through Peter doing anything about having, telling his feelings or being in an emotional state. It was just Jesus extending that forgiveness first and getting from Peter how he truly felt. Uh, and what happened here is that we saw that Peter went from this boastful, proud man who was in the upper room before the crucifixion to now this humble man who let go of his pride and said, I do love you and I am going to serve you. This must have been painful for Peter to do this, to go through this process. He was becoming the man that Jesus wanted him to be. And Jesus is allowing him now to get rid of any guilt or shame because this is done openly in front of others. I think this next part is, is kind of a wow factor for me. Jesus and Peter had two conversations that uh, where Peter is involved around a charcoal fire. The first one was found in John 18, verse 18, and that's the charcoal fire in the courtyard where Peter denied Christ. 
And this is the second one where Jesus, where Peter expresses his love and commitment to Christ. So by one fire, uh, Peter says, I don't know him. By the second fire, he says, Lord, you know I love you. And then by the first fire, he denied Christ. And by the second fire, he is restored to Christ. Now let's think about what Christ did not do in this scene. He doesn't try to make Peter feel guilty. He does not humiliate him publicly. He doesn't ask these questions. Are you sorry for what you did? Tell me what you did. Go ahead, call it all out. He doesn't make Peter promise that he's going to do better. He just asks a question. Do you love me? And if you love me, then this is how it's going to look. Wow, what a lesson for us in that, isn't it? You know, we all have people who have hurt us, who've disappointed us, who have uh, betrayed us in some way, who's, uh, who's, who's gone astray. And, and we all want them to come to us constantly. And they have to ask us forgiveness before we are ready to forgive and move forward. But that's not what Jesus did in this case. What he did was he went to Peter and he had somebody who had hurt him and he looked him in the face and he asked him for a commitment. And so are we able to do that? Are we able to go into the face of someone who has hurt us? And if not, are we able to forgive them anyway? We, this is a message for us. It's an important part of this story. Um, Peter needed to see the enormity of his sin, and he needed to hear Jesus ask these searching questions. Only then could he really grasp the magnitude of Christ's forgiveness, and it was only then that he could be restored. Without this pain that he went through, he could not have gotten better. Often we don't get better because we don't want to face the hard truth about our own past. Peter had to, to deal with that right there when Jesus was asking him questions. He had to deal with the question, do I really love him? Do we ever focus in and really address the issues of our past, the issues of our hurt, of our pain, of our sorrow, of our agony, of our worry, or of our fear. That's what Jesus says we need to do. We need to face it head on. It is not until we dig into that pain and that agony and understand where it came from and give it up and completely surrender that we can move forward. It's the importance uh, of perhaps having a counselor to talk with about this, uh, going to a pastor to talk about this and get this out and, and deal with it and be able to move forward recommitted. That's what Peter did in this scene. <clears throat> When Christ asked him the third time, Peter's heart was grieved. And he says, you know everything. And so at that point, he is renouncing uh, all that he had said and done before. And he knew himself this time. He thought he knew himself before, but he was just a proud and boastful man before. He was a humble man who knew that Jesus loved him and trusted him. And, that, and Peter wanted to give his commitment, his life to Jesus. Peter never denied Christ again. You know, have you heard the expression by hook or by crook? 
Well, did you know that comes from here? <coughs> we see in this chapter of John, uh, a hook is the symbol of a fisherman and a crook is the symbol of a shepherd. And in this chapter, we see those symbols so beautifully, the symbol of a fisherman. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Peter was a pro at fishing. And now he is going to become a pro at shepherding. He has done well with using the hook, and now he's going to do well with using the crook to bring in people and to help steer people to the Lord. Peter changes his profession from a fisherman to an evangelist in this commissioning. Now, I want us to look at this next verse. It's verse 18. What Jesus is telling Peter here is what he is going to experience in his life and what kind of death he is going to have. So this is his prophecy. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Verse 19 said, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, two words, follow me. Jesus prophesied that Peter would die as a result of following him. He made a comparison between Peter's life as a youth and Peter's life as an old man. And he says, Peter will die a martyr's death. And when he says, you will stretch out your hands, he's referring to a crucifixion. Early church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he said he was not worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Christ. Although Peter failed in the past, in the end, he is going to glorify God in his death. And the early historians tell us that Peter was faithful to Christ throughout his life and even in his death. So we come to the end of this passage, and I want us to see what Christ does with failure. He redeems it. Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. Again, John reminds us that he's the one Jesus loved. The one who had leaned over to Jesus during supper and asked, Lord, will you, who will you betray? And who will betray you? And Peter asked Jesus. So John's behind him. And so Peter cannot help himself. He knows what his death is going to be. And now he says, what about him, Lord? And so Peter sees John and wants to know what's to become of him. Have you ever compared yourself to somebody else and wonder what's going to become of them? Well, that's what Peter is doing. Would you want to know your own death? I mean, I don't know that that was such a wonderful moment for Peter to hear how he's going to die, but he did know that he was going to be a martyr for Christ. Would you want to know the future of someone else? Well, here's what Jesus said to Peter. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, Jesus said, it's none of your beeswax. 
<laughs> Jesus says, you don't have to worry about what others are doing. Be faithful to what God's given you to do. And he's going to put it together for everybody else. You know, in a symphony orchestra, a violinist does not go around checking what the trombonist is playing. And an oboist doesn't worry about whether a trumpeter is going to get his cue and come in on time. That is the business of the conductor. These people in an orchestra play their parts and the conductor puts it all together. Jesus wants us to know that message too. Our eternal father is going to put all the pieces together. We just need to play our part. Well, what happened is the, uh, the rumor began to spread in the community of uh, believers that the disciples would, what, that this disciple wouldn't die, but that isn't what Jesus said at all. Um, he, he said only, if I want him to remain alive and return, what's that up to you? And this disciple is the one who testifies to these events. This disciple being John testified and has recorded them. And we know that his account of all these things is accurate. Jesus did many other things. And if they were all to be written down, he says, I think the whole world couldn't contain the books of what has been written. And that's how John ends his book. See, what Jesus has done is he has put his plan in to build the church. He has extended forgiveness to a man who has denied him and played a role in his crucifixion. It's a big act of forgiveness. Jesus forgives Peter. He doesn't say those words, but sometimes those words aren't always necessary. Do you all find that many people stay tied up in knots and resentment with resentment and bitterness? Something happened in the past and they haven't forgotten it. And each of us has people who have done that to us, who have hurt us. They've spoken unkind words, uh, and, and they, uh, were, they've acted as Peter did in denying us. We all have a Simon Peter in our lives. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Jesus says the way that we love him is to forgive others and to serve him.